0: Welcome to Behind the Music, brought to you by the Wichita Falls Symphony Orchestra. Join us as we go behind the scenes with our talented musicians and guests to speak candidly about their musical journey and reveal interesting snippets about upcoming concerts. And now, here's your host, the Wichita Falls Symphony Orchestra music director and conductor, Fuad Fakouri.
1: Welcome to this episode of Behind the Music. I'm your host, Fuakakuri. We are here today to talk about our upcoming concert on the 25th of February at Memorial Auditorium. Joining me today is internationally recognized Grammy Award winner violinist Jennifer Coe. Jennifer will be performing Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto with us on the concert. Uh, Jennifer, it's wonderful to have you uh, be part of this, and I'm so excited about the performance. So welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much.
1: So let's just uh, get started. Can you tell me a little bit and our, our our listeners as well, a little bit about your background? How did you get involved in music? And when did you uh, know that you wanted to, to pursue a career as a performing artist?
2: Um, I guess it's a long story. Um, so my parents came to or my mom came to the U.S. in 1965. Um, and she was a refugee during the Korean War, as well as my father. So when they got to the U.S. and they had me here, they basically started me in everything they could never start in when they were growing up. Um, so that included ballet, violin, uh, swimming, uh, ice skating, <laughs> diving, gymnastics, rhythmic gymnastics, of course, you know, school. Uh, and. And violin or, and music and actually swimming <laughs> were were the two things I was really drawn to um, and reading, I guess. Uh, so that's kind of how I started. And then I was lucky enough to have a really, really, really wonderful first violin teacher, uh, Mrs. Davis, Mrs. Joe Davis, who I'm still in touch with and still close with. And uh, so she started teaching me, I think, when I was three. Um, and then at some point when I was seven, she told my parents, OK, I've taught your daughter everything I can. It's time for you to take her to a different teacher. So Mrs. Davis actually did all this research and went to every single, I think, violin teacher. I, I was born and grew up outside of Chicago in the Chicago area and then finally decided upon these two teachers. And um She only told me this a few years ago. I I didn't know this because um, she then for a year, she drove me to every single lesson um, and she practiced with me during the week. And but then only a few years ago, she told me, oh, yes, well. Because they didn't want to take anybody so young, so I promised them that you would you would really absorb everything, and and that's why I actually drove you to every lesson and and practice with you. And I feel like she made some kind of decision. Okay, at age you know 35, I'm gonna t- I won't tell her until age 35 or something like that, because um, it was literally right after my birthday. Um, so that's kind of how I started, and you know, I'm so grateful to her because if it really hadn't been for, for her efforts and, and, and help, I I would never be a musician. Um, So I, you know, I think I was really uh, incredibly fortunate from that young age. And then after that, I was so fortunate to be mentored uh, by Felix Gallimere and then later by Jamie Laredo. And you asked me, oh, when did you know you'd be a musician? (laughs) And I really didn't, I mean, it was just not something, first of all, my familial background. uh, But second of all, you know, I just, I, I. the reason I continued actually was because of the faith that my teachers and mentors had in me. I I mean, they had much more belief in me before I ever had belief in myself. so I, I am forever, forever grateful to them. And I think as a result of kind of both their advocacy and also all of the time and effort and support they gave me throughout the years, um, now as I'm older, I feel that it's a responsibility to give that back because it's priceless. You can never n- never repay somebody for giving you this, this beautiful life. Um, the only way you can do it is to try to help other people.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm, it's interesting. You, two things that you said that are really sort of resonate with me. First of all, uh, my daughter is a swimmer as well. She's a, she's 15. She's a competitive swimmer and the amount of um, sort of dedication and commitment that 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 sport requires. I mean, she wakes up at four in the morning to go to swim at five and, all of that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's similar to
2: swim teams. So So you know exactly what I'm talking about,
1: but you know, I have to wake up with her to take her to swim sometimes. So it's, uh, it's a commitment for the entire family, but, but it's similar to what you do in music, which also you, you know, it requires a lot, a lot of commitment and dedication to this one thing. And then the other thing about that resonated with me is when you talked about as you get older, you start realizing that, you know what, you've been so fortunate in life to receive so much from other people that have mentored you that you have to give it back. You have to, you know, sort of make, it's an obligation almost to sort of continue this with other people. Oh, absolutely. In, in the future. So, which leads me to the next question. Uh, so, one of your most recent projects is the new American Concerto Commission um, project, which... Mm-hmm. Basically, I mean, I read a little bit about it. It explores the form uh, of the violin concerto in our modern day. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the project and how you started it and what gave you the idea really to begin uh, that that uh, that entire endeavor?
2: I, I think it was several things. Um, first of all, I'm quite dedicated to commissioning uh, younger artists or just new music in general. It's not necessarily younger composers. And part of that is with the knowledge that um, you have to create an environment for artists to grow. It doesn't mean every single piece that's being commissioned is going to turn into, um, you know, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony or anything. But you need a certain uh, cultivation in order to allow a piece like that to be able to be born. Um, I think it's also rooted in a belief that we still have the future. the greatest work of art and music has probably not been written yet. Um, So just like all of us really uh, admire and love playing and love listening to something like the Tchaikovsky Concerto, which we're gonna do um, in Wichita Falls. um, I I also work under this belief that that maybe the greatest concerto for violin has not yet been written. Um, And I think, The third part of it is also about thinking about service. So when we think about service, of course we have service to our fellow musicians, I think our community of musicians. And then we also have service to the art form that we're in, which is classical music. And we also have to think about how we serve our larger communities. So I think, In terms of um, the future of classical music, it is really about creating this environment in which great music can be written. And that's through supporting the field and through supporting composers and musicians in general and performers. And I think um, the next part of it is how do we serve our larger communities? And that's really about how do we bring voice um, and give a platform uh, to stories that are not like our own and stories that we haven't heard before. And that's really, I think, for me, at least, it's about um, the fact that it's always, I always know what's in my own head. I already know the, the you know, how I personally think about things, um, but I'm always more interested in how other people think. Um, so, for example, like, you know, this is not a normal conversation between you and me because you're essentially interviewing me but if it was a normal conversation I would probably be asking you more questions about your experiences and what your background is and your relationship to music um yeah so that's but I understand this is an interview so so but that's that's essentially um why I think it's important and and essentially I also end up feeling like it's a loss when I don't learn the stories of other people that are unlike me, that stories that I've never heard perspectives, I've never even thought about. Um, So whether it's in service to the creation of music and and hearing sounds and harmonies that I hadn't imagined or the evolution of the story, it's also about learning about other people. So I really wanted to integrate that also into music as a direct response also to society and how people unlike me are responding to society and and um, what are their living conditions? How are they thinking about this world that we're living in now? Um, so and then specifically about engaging American artists that we didn't necessarily include before as Americans.
1: right yeah, and I think, I mean, if I understand you correctly, I mean, then you can ask me any questions. it's It's a conversation, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I feel the same way it's you 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 you're curious about other people, you're curious about other points of views, and you don't want to miss out on really um, knowing other people and what they're thinking and and what their sort of experiences are artistically. so, I, mean, I think that's probably what drives us all in the in in, the, in this field. You know, you're always trying to explore new ideas, trying to see new things, and learn. I think learning is the one thing that I'm always sort of curious about. What do I learn next? How do I evolve to become a better artist and musician? Um, so, talking, moving on to the concert. You know, we t- we're talking about your performance, Tchaikovsky's uh, Violin Concerto. You've done this work. Um, you know, when you were very young, you you did it, I think you were in your teens. And now you're coming back to it. I don't know if you've performed it since then continuously or you've gave it up, you know, for a while or whatever, but but you're now coming back to it after a while. Um, Tell us a little bit about how that process is for you and how does it feel to go back and revisit a work that you started out with so early. And now, you know, as you've sort of grown up with the work, Having performed it, how do you look at it now and how and how do you, if you perform it multiple times, you know, for instance, this season, how do you keep it fresh from one orchestra to the next, from every single performance to the next?
2: It was, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I moved my parents out of basically my childhood home where they had been living um, for, I think, over 40 years. And I came across all of these. VHS tapes, like old, you know, videotapes that um, it, my parents had essentially collected all, over the years. So it was also like hundreds of thousands of photographs. But in any case, with the with the videotapes, and so I was actually curious. Some of them were performance tapes that my father had taken, um, and others had been tapes that had been made before uh, or or had been filmed more professionally, I guess. And, um, it, and a, of course, a lot of them had Tchaikovsky concerto in them. And it was kind of fascinating to look back and to, to also see how I thought about Tchaikovsky um, back then when I was 14, 15 years old um, and how that shifted so radically um, now. Uh, I think at that age, I saw it as a very kind of you know, it has this um, kind of background of people say, oh, it was considered unplayable before. Um, and so I think when I was younger, I kind of approached it as a more virtuosic piece mm-hmm. and and I approach it in a very different way now, um, because for me, it's much more almost poetic now. Um, but it'll be interesting uh, to see because having looked back and listened back to those early recordings, and I'm actually curious to see whether that's now going to influence <laughs> the performance that you and I do. <laughs> and maybe, I don't know, maybe it'll become some kind of interesting fusion between the two, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I, I one of the things I think that's nice about returning to music that you've played for a long time and that you've known and lived with for a long time is that it's really kind of evolved with how you've evolved as a human being and, and all of those experiences and uh, that you've lived over the years, um, how that's changed not only changed you and hopefully you've grown for the better, um, but how then it, it reflects itself in, in, in how you approach these pieces. And um, it was almost comforting in a, in a strange way to, to to see how that piece has lived with me for so long or how I've lived with the piece for so long.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I look back at some of the works that I've, you know, when I look back when I was younger and some of the pieces, I mean, obviously when you can't go back in time, but often I think, gosh, I was so naive when I look back at that performance and, and, you know, naive meaning now I know so much more about, about that piece or about life, or I have more experience. Obviously you can't go back in time. And I think this is why sometimes recordings are so misleading. It's like, you know what, you should just leave that behind. Like when you're 17, there's a reason you move on from being 17 to 18 and now, you know, I'm I'm 50 now. So when you, when you're 50, you, you look back, but you can't relive that moment. I mean, it's like almost when you listen to a recording, you're looking at a at a photo from a previous time. Um, it's just really interesting. I, I prefer, for me, I mean, to go back to what you said about uh, the new American Concerto Commission project, looking forward to me is much, much more exciting than looking back or remembering the past. At least for me, mm-hmm. it is that uh, way. Before we uh, before we finish uh, the podcast, Jennifer, I just wanted to see if there's anything that you would like to tell our audience specifically about uh, their, your performance of the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto with the Wichita Falls City Orchestra this coming concert.
2: I think, first of all, I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I love meeting new communities of people. Uh, and I think for me... Um when I was a kid I was really addicted to to the nutcracker. And for some reason, more and more I hear the Tchaikovsky violin concerto as being more and more similar to the nutcracker. So I guess what I would say is if you like the nutcracker, hopefully you will also like the Tchaikovsky violin
1: concerto. That's great. Well, Hey, thank you very much for spending some time uh, with me today. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to working with you and, and uh, you know, partnering on this piece together. And I'm sure it's going to be a terrific performance. So thank you again very much for joining us today, Jennifer. It was a pleasure to speak to you.
2: Thank you. I'm really looking forward to working with you too. In the thank, you.
1: thank you very much. Join us at Memorial Auditorium on uh, February 25th at 7.30 p.m. for an exceptional concert featuring Jennifer performing Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto. We will be performing also Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, along with Ibert's Homage à Mozart and Forez Pavane. Tickets are available now by calling the WFSO office. Also, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you can get new episodes as soon as they
0: are released. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Music, hosted by Fouad Fakouri of the Wichita Falls Symphony Orchestra. To check out more information about upcoming concerts and to purchase concert tickets, visit our website at www.wfso.org. That's wfso.org. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time.